0: to Shiva Prabhupada, Nama Om Vishnipadaya, Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale, Shri Matai Bhaktivedanta Swami, Yuti Namane, Namaste Sarasvati Deva, Gauravani Pachane, Nivhase Sissin, Vali Vasquityade Satane, Vandeham Shri Guru Sri Yuta, Parakamalam Shri Guru, Vaishnam Shri Rupa, Sangra Jatam, Sahagana Vaginatam, Vitaam Stam, Sajivam, Sadvaitam, Sadvadutam, Pritinam Sahita, Krishna Chaitanya Devam, Sri Radha, Krishna, Padam, Sahagana, Lalita, Sri Vashakam, Vitaam Ancha Kapatru Visya, Kipasindavi Abhita, Pti Tanampava Navya, Vaishanipa Namo Namo. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya 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 it's April 19th, 2019, in Dallas, Texas. And we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 12, Chapter 8, Mark and Day Prayers to Naranirayanishi, Text 12. Brahma Brigur Bhavodakshu. Brahma Brigur Brahma Putras Chaye Brahma Putras Chaye Nirdeva Deva Pitra Bhutani. Yeshana Mati Vishmita Brahma, Lord Brahma, Brigahu, Brigamuni, Bhavaha, Lord Shiva, Daksha, Prajapati Daksha, Ramaputraha, the great sons of Brahma, Cha, and Yay, who Apare, others, Nriya, human beings, Deva, demigods, Pitra, forefathers, Bhutani, and ghostly spirits, Teya, with that, conquest of death, asan, they all became, Ativishmitama, extremely amazed. Lord Brahma, Rigamuni, Lord Shiva, Prajapati Daksha, the great sons of Brahma, and many others among the human beings, demigods, forefathers, and ghostly spirits, all were astonished by the achievement of Markandeya Rishi. So here we have the word Vishnutaha, which means astonishment or surprise. And uh, as one of the seven secondary rasas, usually it's called the adbhuta rasa, but it's this uh, rasa of wonder. It's a, it's a kind of pleasure, it's a kind of happiness. Yes? So we often experience happiness when we feel great wonder, or surprise, or amazement at somebody's achievement. Isn't that a fact? Right? Like why do people want to watch the Olympics? Because it's amazing what people can do. They do their whatever triple backflips off the high dive or, you know, what's that, that runner, he's got such a cool name, Usain Bolt, right? <laughs> so he bolts <laughs> and, he, and people are amazed. Oh, he's breaking the world records. People want to know what is the world record. Right? Anyone who does something amazing, athletics, music, art, right? Some person who is quadriplegic and they paint with their mouth, or they paint with, you know, blindfolded magicians, right? How do they do that? They put the curtain over the box where the magician is, and they take off the curtain and there's a tiger, and the magician is at the other end of the room, and wow, that's amazing. And we get pleasure from that. It's one of the seven kinds of pleasures that are secondary. There are five major pleasures. Yes, the five major relationships are in in reverence, in service, in friendship, in parental caring for someone, and in romantic love. And then the seven secondary forms of happiness are this one wonder? What else? Chivalry. chivalry, which has four subparts. One part is when you're charitable. Don't you feel happy when you're charitable? When you do something dharmic. Yes, I did something dharmic. Sportsmanlike. Okay. After chivalry is what? Next one. That's another one? Anger. You can say, well, I don't feel very happy when I'm angry. But no, we do. There's a kind of happiness in anger. It's one of the reasons why people go to sporting events. Isn't it? And they get angry at the other team. They get angry at the referees. (sighs) And they feel, oh, it's bored. Political rallies. People take pleasure in anger. (coughs) What's another one? Ghastly. Ghastly. People who enjoy horror movies or even if you say, Ew, oh, that's disgusting, and people go, Oh, can I see? Of course. Prabhupada says if you want to enjoy the ghastly rasa, you should worship who? Who should you worship if you want to enjoy the ghastly rasa? Oh Lord, yeah, I don't think Prabhupada would recommend us worshiping Shiva. but sing oh. you singing? A singing day, yeah pretty ghastly why is this ghastly I mean if I was wearing bloody intestines instead of a garland wouldn't that be ghastly yes wouldn't you all be like ew what does she have on oh my god that's intestines <laughs> it's pretty ghastly It's throwing his heart across the room <laughs> that's all ghastly What's well, it? said what's the other two Well, the other three actually. We have fear. People enjoy fear, right? Don't people like scary stories, right? (gasps) What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Or people go on scary rides, pay money to go on scary rides. I was a kid. I used to love the roller coaster. (gasps) Extreme sports. The other two is the last two. Lamentation or compassion. So compassion or or grief or sadness. And that seems contradictory. How can you be happy at being sad? But we do. There's also sad movies and sad books, right? Isn't there? People go, oh, (laughs) it's a great movie. Yes, right? Or we, we feel happiness and compassion for someone. And the last one is comedy or joy. Most of the same thing? Huh? Most of the same category?
1: Compassion and...
0: and uh, no, no, comedy and joy. And comedy, joy, same Yes. Okay. It's all within the same Rasa. Each, each Rasa has subcategories and sub-sub and sub 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 subcategories Just like Karuna Rasa, it's compassion, but it's also Grief. And sadness and the comedy rasa is also joy, exuberance, so each of them has. Like the chivalrous rasa is when you're enjoying a sporting competition, but it's also when you're being very dharmic and it's also when you're giving charity, so they have subcategories. And the, like the, uh, the other the five primary rasas, they also have many, many, many subcategories. You can be a friend who's totally equal and informal. You can be a little bit more formal friend. You can be a little bit of a superior friend. You can be a little bit of an inferior friend. So many, so many categories. So here are all these personalities. Anybody remember? which? Well, I guess you can tell pretty easily looking at the Sanskrit. Which personalities here were enjoying this rasa of wonder? We have Lord Brahma, Regu Muni, Daksha, all the sons of Brahma, and then the human beings, the demigods, the forefathers, and even all the ghosts and spirits, even the, those sort of living beings, they were all enjoying wonder at the activities of Mark and Deyarishi. And particularly, the fact that he had conquered death, that he had gotten liberated. He was no longer under the modes of nature. And they were like, wow! Okay. So this appreciation, this wonder at someone's activities exists not only in this world, but it exists, of course, in the spiritual world, and it's part of our relationship with Krishna, and it's also part of our relationship between the devotees. And so it's something that we can cultivate. What's nice about bhakti yoga, one of the many, many, many nice things that's nice about bhakti yoga, is that it's full of emotion. You know, the impersonalists have the idea that we should kill all emotion, Huh? Right? We should kill all thoughts. We should kill all emotion. We want our mind to be empty. I mean, if you really think about it, it's not so attractive, is it? The goal of life is to be empty. (laughs) But in Bhakti Yoga, we are full of all these emotions. So, there's different kinds of this appreciation and, and wonder and astonishment. And... Srila Prabhupada says we particularly become full of wonder when something wonderful is done by somebody that we love. And even very small things done by someone we love will elicit this feeling of, of happiness and wonder. You know, we, we see in so many temples they have a Sunday school, and often what they do in the Sunday school is the children will do some little drama for a festival or a Sunday feast. And frankly, often the drama is not very good. I mean, it it shouldn't be like that. But but at least the parents, they're filled with wonder. Correct? Like, wow, look at my child. The child is doing something perhaps very insignificant. But because there's love, we feel that wonder. And conversely, when it's people we don't like, we may not appreciate even their very wonderful activities. Right? That is envy. Bhaktisiddhanta gives that example. If your childhood friend becomes a Supreme Court justice, he may, you know, and you didn't like the person, you may say, ah, that's not true. He couldn't be on the Supreme Court. I remember in childhood he was such a pest. No, no, I saw him on the bench. Oh, well, he must not be paying him. <laughs> you know? So, we should be careful of this, actually. We tend to, when there's people we have affection for, we tend to be much more appreciative. And when there's people that we don't have affection for, or especially people we really don't like, then we tend to not be appreciative. Our appreciation is not just based on what someone's actually doing, it's based on how we feel about them. You know, in the spiritual world, it's nicely explained in the Bhagavatam, how everyone appreciates everyone else's service because there's no envy. Even if someone is serving Krishna in a way that's not your way of serving Krishna. So there's some competition because of that. There is some competition in the spiritual world because of some feelings of different ways of wanting to serve Krishna. That's true. And different groups of devotees in the spiritual world are feeling my way of serving Krishna is better than your way of serving Krishna. That, that is a fact. That doesn't go away, even for perfected beings. But they still appreciate how Krishna is pleased with the other service, Because there, there's no malice. If we can understand the difference there. Just like some cowherd boys, they like to joke with Krishna, even insult Krishna. Other cowherd boys, they would never dream of doing such a thing. Like Radharani gets so angry with Krishna that she doesn't give up her anger even when he falls at her feet. But then there's other groups of gopis who very easily forgive Krishna, and then that the two, these two groups they don't really they don't like the other's mood, and they say Krishna is not so pleased with with not forgiving him, or Krishna is not so pleased with forgiving him so easily. But they still appreciate. There's no malice. There's no hatred. So it's important that we cultivate this mood with the other devotees now. Part of our sadhana training. We're not just being trained in chanting our rounds and waving our incense. But we're being trained in how to deal with the devotees. And this means to actually enjoy. Bhakti Vinod says that we should feel joy upon seeing a devotee. We have our our book here about how to become free from offenses and chanting, and the offense of blaspheming the devotees, one way you become free of that is to feel joy upon seeing a devotee. Just this morning I was hearing from the Chaitanya Charitamrita where Mahaprabhu was asked, how do you know he's a devotee? And he said, someone chants Hare Krishna one time, they're a devotee. We, We may not like that definition, Right? I have a good friend who says, no, devotee means someone who's free of all selfish desires. I'm like, well, you're not going to find very many devotees then. You know, if you take that kind of definition, then you feel free to offend everybody, right? Uh, But rather, we should see, oh, someone's chanting Hare Krishna one time. They are devotee. Now, if they're not a very good character, we shouldn't associate intimately with them. But still we feel joy. They chanted Hare Krishna one time. Wow! And appreciate. And feel this, this wonder. If they're not of high character, we don't make them our intimate associate. If their mood is very different from ours, then we don't serve with them uh, closely. Like Prabhupada told Jamuna, if two people are compatible, then that is enough devotee association. One other person. And if 200 are incompatible, nobody will make any advancement. So we're not supposed to serve with people who are incompatible. We're supposed to serve with people who are compatible. But we should still have appreciation. This person's chanting Hare Krishna one time. This person may have so many bad habits, maybe they can't follow the regulative principles, whatever, but somehow they say Hare Krishna. Let me appreciate. And not just grudgingly appreciate, not just, yeah, well, yeah, they're a devotee, they're doing something. But this Vishnu Tala, this, this Adhuta, wow, here's somebody who in this material world, full of rebellion against Krishna, is actually doing something in Krishna consciousness. And of course then there's the appreciation of others that really inspire us. You know, I'm sure that these personalities appreciating Mark and Deirishi and feeling this wonder at Mark and Deirishi were inspired by him. Well, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. Isn't it? Generally in this world, if somebody is more advanced than we are, we become disturbed. Why is he so advanced? I joined before he did. I heard him yelling at someone the other day. He has so many pra- How can he be advanced? It's generally our mood. But we should feel wonder and appreciation and inspiration at people who've made advancement in Krishna consciousness. And use that to inspire us. I can also make advancement. That's the kind of competition that exists in the spiritual world and the Srila Prabhupada encouraged. He said, competition gives life. Oh, if she can do that, if he can do that, and I can do that for Krishna. Wow. This person just feels such bliss, chanting Hare Krishna. One time I went to a home program in London, and uh, <laughs> the family had a very big altar, many, many deities. The altar took up, I don't know, a fourth of the room, the main living room. And uh, they had one son, 12 years old, and the, the woman, the wife, mother, she said to me, she said, Omila, I have a problem. What's your problem? She said, the devotees criticize me that I don't spend time studying Shastra. I said, well, what do you do? She said, well, I take care of my deities, take care of my husband and my son, and all the rest of the time I'm chanting Java. I said, how many rounds do you chant every day? She said, at least 150. <laughs> I said, why do you chant so much? And her whole face, it was like a thousand watt light bulb lit up behind. She went, because it's so wonderful. I said, I don't think you have anything to worry about. (laughs) And then she said, but they're criticizing me that I'm not studying the Bhagavatam. I said, would you like to chant Bhagavatam verses? Oh, yes, very good. I said, "Well, what time? What parts of the day are you not chanting Java? She said, "Well, you know, when I'm taking a shower, when I'm cooking." I said, "Well, can you chant Bhagavatam verses then?" She said, "Oh yes, I can do that." I said, "Then you're." Fine. And I feel so inspired by this woman. I often think about her. I don't remember her name. I remember what she looked like. I remember her house. And I feel so inspired by her not very known in the Hare Krishna movement. I mean, I'm sure most people see her just some housewife living in some suburb in London. But here's a devotee who's finding so much happiness in chanting Hare Krishna that she's practically chanting all day and all night. And I was feeling this wonder. Wow, when will I have such a taste for chanting as that? Or there's a family I visit in Australia and they have deities at home. But they take care of their deities at home like it's done in the temple. Every morning, husband and wife together, they, they bathe their deities, change all their clothes do a full arty. Which is actually the standard. But most people don't do that. And whenever I go there, I feel so inspired. Wow, look how nicely they're serving their deities. Let me serve my deity so nice. Maybe someday I'll serve my deity so nice. Any devotee who's doing something wonderful in Krishna's service, we should feel inspired. Not envious, not critical. Like they're saying, oh, you're chanting all day. Why aren't you studying the (laughs) Bhagavatam? And then we should be inspired to make Krishna happy. Krishna Das Kaviraj explains so nicely in the Caitanya Charitamrita that the attitude of the gopis of wanting Krishna to enjoy with the other gopis and feeling more happiness when Krishna is enjoying with the other gopis than when he's enjoying with them makes Krishna very happy. Our mood in this world tends to be, "I want it to be all about me." I want to get the credit. I want to do the important service. I want the, my guru to smile at me. I want Krishna to smile at me. That's generally our mood in this world. But the mood in the spiritual world is pushing Krishna to others. Even Shimati Radharani says she feels 10 million times happier when Krishna's with another gopi than when he's with her. And in fact, this attitude is one of the reasons Srila Prabhupada gives why we ask for Radharani's mercy. So she'll go to Krishna and say, Krishna, look at this devotee. Look at this devotee. You know, in the material world, in that very small universe with the four-headed Lord Brahma and the tiny little solar system, yeah, you know, on the Earth planet, in Kali Yuga, right, the little city of Dallas, who just offered you some incense and a flower. Would you take them home, would you? She's not worried that, well, if Krishna takes that devotee home, then he'll spend less time with her or he won't love her or something like that. Right? She's thinking, let everybody come. So Krishna really likes this mood. Just like if you're a parent with more than one child, which I think has gone out of fashion in the world today. Right? people only have one child and no children which means in time if there's only one child then the world the family will be finished in the world no brothers no sisters no uncles no aunts no cousins the, the destruction of family anyway those of you who have more than one child you know you want your children to get along you want them to appreciate each other right? so Krishna also likes this very much so what should we be appreciating? Now we can certainly appreciate people's material talents and abilities because Krishna says I am the ability of human beings. So we can certainly appreciate if someone can do an amazing magic trick or an amazing acrobatic feat or figure out some complicated mathematical formula in their head. We can certainly, it's not that we cannot appreciate it, it's not that we're supposed to just be dull and go, well that's all material. We should see Krishna there. Isn't it? Yes? I mean, for the, for the condition Jiva, their wonderful activities are simply the result of their karma and their desire and the Lord's grace. But it's also, Krishna is also huh? Krishna is also But if we can appreciate Krishna giving people ability according to their karma and according to their desire, if we can appreciate that, then how much more so should we appreciate people who've actually achieved liberation from birth and death in Krishna prayer? That's far more impressive. It really is far more impressive. Someone who has no hands and legs and can still make their bed and brush their teeth and have a job, that's impressive. Undoubtedly, that's impressive. Now, I was once at an educational conference. I used to go regularly to, to educational conferences when I ran a school. And this one man was giving a, a speech and he had a, a slight speech impediment. And he was telling the story how he was born with a severely cleft palate and his parents just abandoned him in a, in a dumpster and how he was raised by foster parents who beat him and abused him in various ways how he couldn't chew his food and so he would just swallow the school food whole and therefore he had to eat a lot of food just to get any nutrition out of it and he had a severe speech impediment and a deformed face and eventually he got in foster care with a woman who was a religious person and who really loved him who paid for the surgeries to to heal his face and paid for the uh, therapy for him to be able to speak almost properly and be able to chew properly And and how he's dedicated his life to God and to education he was willing to do public speaking you know that was inspiring but how much more inspiring when somebody gives up their falsehood You know, we talk about surrender, Sarva Dharma, and i sorry. What are we surrendering? Our house, our car was never ours. Our body, that was never ours. It's not really much of a surrender, you know. If I say, here you can borrow my car for a week and after the week you give it back to me, is that very extraordinary? Wow. He actually gave back the car that wasn't his. I mean, that's like just normal morals, right? To surrender our body to Krishna, to surrender our mind to Krishna. That's our possessions, our family. None of that was ours in the first place. That's just an acknowledgement. Krishna's going to take it anyway, by the way. But as Prabhupada says, we should know what is ours and what is not ours. And what is ours is our independence, our ego, our sense of identity. When we give that to Krishna, when we let go of the idea that I'm the controller, I'm the enjoyer, I'm the center of the universe, which is all laughable from a logical point of view. But when we let go of that emotionally, and we actually desire to be who we are. A servant of a servant of a servant of Krishna. And we take happiness in that, as I was hearing Prabhupada the other day say, when we take pride in that. It's kind of a funny thing. It's like when you take pride in your in your humility and insignificance. You know, Wow, I'm a really tiny servant of Krishna. Woo! <laughs> Not like, I'm so humble. I don't mean like that. Yeah. Wow! I'm an insignificant servant of Krishna. Yay! Yay! So when somebody does that, that is really it. How much more, if we're amazed by all these other things, we feel wonder at all these other things, how much wonder should we feel when somebody really surrenders to Krishna? Somebody lets go. Huh? And we can feel wonder and amazement when we do that too, by the way we should feel wonder and amazement at the mercy of Guru and Krishna upon us. Like Sarvabha He said, you know, Lord Chaitanya, you delivered the whole world, but that's not a big deal. For you, delivering the whole world, you, know, you can do that. What do we say? One hand tied behind your back. You do that in your, in your sleep. He says, for you, it's nothing. He said, but you delivered Sarva and That was a big deal. So Sarvabhauma Bhattacharya was feeling this Vishmita, this Adhuta, that Lord Chaitanya had delivered him. Wow! He said, "You have turned a crow into Garuda." So we should also feel excited and full of wonder and full of astonishment that how Guru and Krishna are delivering us, how our our bad habits are falling away. Our gross bad habits, our subtle bad habits, how we're gaining some actual feeling of, of attachment and love for the Supreme for the devotees should be a source of celebration. Yes. Yeah. So this is so wonderful. These beings who apparently are much more qualified than Markandeya Rishi—I mean, Brahma and Shiva, Brighu but they're feeling so much astonishment at this uh, real accomplishment of marketing. So any questions, comments, additions, subtractions, chastisements? Yes, please. This malice, this envy, um, you feel it? Especially with those that are near near you, mm. it's easier to appreciate when you don't know the person. When you, mm. you don't know the negative things, and it's much easier. Well, it is it, almost default; You have this far behind you. It and it's very, it's internally very hard. It's, it's almost as if um, you feel that you're eating like a rock, and a rock or something. It's really hard on the heart, but you can't seem to get out of it. I mean, it, it's, yes. it's almost like, it almost pushes you in that direction. Well, Arjuna talked about that, didn't he? He said, why do I seem to be forced against my will to behave in ways that I don't want to behave? That one question in the Bhagavad Gita when I first read it when I was 17, really captured me. And I think that that question is at the root of why, in like the Christians will say, the devil made me do it. You know, we, and we, that question is at the root of why most of us, a lot of the times, feel that we're a victim. You know, we, it just, it seems to us that I'm a good person, I want to be a good person, I try to be a good person. People do things to me that I don't deserve, and I do things that I don't like, even though I don't want to. I think it's rare that a day goes by when we can say every minute of the day I spend the way I would have liked to. Isn't that that would be a rare thing? Wouldn't it? How would I like to spend my day? I mean, map it out. But then there's not a one-to-one correspondence. We're going to spend some of our time just wasting our time, just talking about something, looking at something, reading something, thinking about something. That is just completely a waste of our energy. Isn't that a fact? we, We say things like, oh, why did I say that? Why did I watch that? Why did I do that? Or why didn't I do that? I was supposed to do that. I was supposed to get it done. And instead I did this. And there's so many books and courses and videos on how to deal with this. So many. And this question comes as as part of my field. My, My doctoral dissertation was on job satisfaction and a lot of what I've studied is motivation and satisfaction. But it's funny, no matter how many books you read and how many courses you take and how many videos you watch and how many, you know, planning things you have, still we do things that we don't want to do. Yes? We do things that are opposed to our own ideals. So we'll be talking about this a lot. I'll be um, teaching, Krishna Willing, Manashiksha on Sunday morning. Unfortunately, just in a, in a one class, I like to teach this at least in three classes. But we're teaching this in um, Frisco on Sunday morning, and this is one of the topics that's covered in the Shrimanushkya. Is being pulled around like a, with a rope around our neck, like a dog, and it, it's something that we also discuss in the novel, which the the novel is based on the fifth canto of the Bhagavatam, chapters 19, 20, and the Madhulila and, and Manashiksha. But to answer very, very briefly, what does Krishna say? He says, the reason that you do things that are against your ideals is your own lust, which is a very unsatisfactory answer, isn't it? It's not the answer you want. You know, when I first read the Bhagavad Gita, that question was at the bottom of a right-hand page, and the answer, I had to turn the page, For that moment when I was turning the page, I was in such anticipation. What's the answer? What's the answer? And I turn the page and Krishna says, it's just your own lust. And I was like, that doesn't help me at all. So as we're we're short on time here, I'm not going to get into the whole how do we conquer this, uh, but in, in brief... There's basically two ways that we get rid of these deep-rooted inartas which, are, which push us to do these things. And these deep-rooted inartas are things that we are holding on to. We are not a victim in any sense of the word, not even one iota at all, ever. We are never a victim. Dharma the bull says, as soon as we think we're a victim, we're a perpetrator. It's a fascinating philosophical concept. That doesn't mean you don't bring people to justice. You know, if somebody rapes you or kills your kid or burns down your house, it's not that you don't take them to court. But the mood that I'm a victim. And this, I'm feeling a victim within myself, yeah? Yeah? But sometimes we'll also blame others because you acted like that, therefore I'm envious of you. You made me angry. Yeah, don't we say this? Well, of course you're going to make me envious when you. So we even, we even project but it's entirely our doing and it's entirely our choice and it's a choice that we can let go of frankly speaking at any time in a moment it doesn't feel that way but that's the reality now you cannot do it you cannot let go of this stuff simply by saying you want to let go of it on just the conscious platform we've all tried that yes yes, everybody has tried that today I'm not going to be envious today I'm not going to find any fault in anybody I tried that I, I, I tried, I was uh, bird jumper who said he had taken a vow to not find any fault and that he had failed immediately and had to give it up <laughs> and, and so myself, like I, I'm the kind of person who likes challenges I like to do things that, that people tell me are impossible to do or very difficult to do So I thought, I'm going to do it. Well, it didn't work any better for me either. So just that kind of thing where you say, you know, I'm not going to find fault in anyone, I'm not going to criticize anybody. You know, it just, I'm going to be determined. We fail, yeah? Usually quite quickly. Isn't it? That, That doesn't work at all. And the reason it doesn't work is that we're holding on to the source of the thing at the same time. Krishna calls it kam-ashrita and ahankara-ashrita. We think that lust and false ego are our shelters. You cannot be holding on to something and letting go of it at the same time. What we're trying to do is we're trying to get the imagined benefits of false ego and lust without the concomitant suffering. That's what we're doing. And generally when we ask Krishna to remove these things from us, or ask Krishna to remove any kind of problem from us, what we're usually asking, actually, and this is why those prayers are not very effective most of the time, is we're usually asking, let me keep the material attachments that are the source of the problem without the problem. Just like on a gross level, in... in, 2019 in America people want to have illicit sex without pregnancy without disease without difficult emotional attachments right? because sex is connected with pregnancy and illicit sex is connected with disease and illicit sex is connected with painful breaking of emotional attachments right? it it just is biologically speaking. And people are thinking, well, let me keep the part I like and get rid of the part I don't like. Or with food. You know, zero calorie food. Food is supposed to have calories. That's its purpose. It's like if you say, I want to put fuel in my car that doesn't make my car go. You know, there's no octane in the, non-octane fuel, could you imagine? So non-caloric food. Why? Because I want the taste of the food but I don't want to get fat. So this is what we're asking Krishna. We're saying, you know, I don't want to engage in this, this nasty business that makes me feel bad about myself and gives me this, this uncomfortable feeling but I want to keep my lust, I want to keep my false ego. It just doesn't work. You just, you just can't do it. And there's only two ways that I know of shastrically speaking that we get rid of the deep-rooted attachments. One is that Krishna takes it away from us just automatically in the process of bhakti. Some of that happens. The Christians call this the dark night of the soul, a phrase which is very misunderstood. People think the dark night of the soul means you go through some tribulation in life. That's not what it means at all. It means it's like A doctor does surgery on you at night when you're sleeping and all of a sudden you wake up and you're healthy. And we've all experienced this. We've all experienced that we took up bhakti and we kind of looked around and said, oh, I I don't have that attachment anymore. Where did it go? Yeah? That we didn't make any kind of separate or extraneous effort to get rid of a certain attachment and it just disappeared. Sometimes you realize that when you meet someone who has it and they'll say oh I'm really struggling with this with this with this and you think oh well, I don't struggle with that and all of a sudden you think boy i used to how did that happen that I used to struggle with that and I don't anymore what, what, what was the process Where, how did it go away uh, a couple years ago I was reading a, a very very famous book by a, a very very best book by a Buddhist about meditation I was thinking about writing something about Christian conscious meditation And a lot of the things that he was striving to do in his meditative process, I realized that happened to me automatically. I was like, oh, I I can do that, and I can do that, and I can do that. How did that happen? I didn't make any effort to do that. He's making all this effort. It's happened to me without effort. So that's one way. And Dr. Vinod explains that the, the symbolism of the demons that are killed in Vrindavan, that those who are killed by Krishna... Are taken, those, those demons symbolize or are metaphors for artist that are taken away by Krishna without our having to do anything other than the process of bhakti. He says, but the demons that Balaram kills, those are demons that we also have to participate in getting rid of. And he says, this is the secret of raj bhakti. So that's a little different process of delivery. Which again, we'll explain more if we teach Manashiksha, or if you want to read about it in Manashiksha or in Essence Seekers, where this process is explained very nicely. And this is a process where the things we're holding on to are made obvious to us. They're not just taken away, but they're made obvious to us, they're made clear to us. And we need to see, as Prabhupada puts it, the naked form of material desires. We need to acknowledge, at least to ourselves and to God, we don't have to acknowledge it to the world, although the great devotees also do that many times, but we at least have to acknowledge to ourselves and to Krishna that we are voluntarily, willfully, willingly, with absolutely no benefit to ourselves or others, holding on to something that is literally, spiritually destroying us. And what we're holding on to is, is basically evil. This is the most difficult thing to admit. I can say, oh, I didn't know you were there, I'm sorry. We, we can admit to that kind of thing all the time. Oh, oh, sorry, I didn't see you. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that you were already waiting here. I, I'm, I'm sorry, no, 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 you go ahead. That we have no problem with admitting a fault due to just ignorance. A well-intentioned fault. But to admit to having evil intentions? Whoa. To admit that I am enjoying willingly, voluntarily, I am enjoying someone else's suffering. Is the definition of evil, is it not? That someone else's suffering is my pleasure? Is that not the definition of evil? And the most evil is that my causing someone else's suffering is my pleasure. To enjoy someone else's suffering, isn't that what we would call evil? Yes? And if I'm enjoying being the cause of someone's suffering, like what is thievery? I'm causing you suffering. I'm taking your stuff and I'm enjoying your stuff at your expense. That's evil, correct? Any of these, thievery, rape, arson, murder, any of the things we understand to be evil, they're all I'm taking pleasure at your suffering and even worse, I'm taking pleasure at being the agent of your suffering. That's why meat eating is so evil getting happiness at the cost of another living being suffering. What to speak if you're the butcher and you're enjoying killing me Why do you think the Acharyas say I'm the most sinful of all sinners? Most of the Acharyas who say that, they're not rapists, arsonists, murderers, thieves. Why are they saying that? Because that mood is the same. Like Prabhupada said, whether you're the thief of a cucumber or a diamond is the same thing. So when it surfaced to our awareness in the process of bhakti that I am like this. And to face it without any justification, without any rationalization, without any excuse, and just to face it, wow. And then to let go. Then to say, honestly, I don't want to be like this anymore. Not, I don't want the suffering anymore. That's a different thing. But to actually feel revolted, this is, this is the one description of the ghastly rasa, by the way. To feel ghastliness at one's own desire for evil, one's own enjoyment of evil. And that's a ghastly rasa. It's in relationship with Krishna. It's not self-centered. One feels this ghastly rasa because one understands that this desire to enjoy evil is standing between me and God. And I don't want anything to stand between me and God. Like in an ordinary relationship, if you understand that some behavior of yours is impeding your relationship with that, your spouse or your child or your friend or whatever. And out of love for that person, you want to let go of this impediment. So, therefore, to rasa, one wants to let go of this thing out of affection for Krishna. Then, it's immediately removed. So, with some of these anarchis, Krishna removes them without our even being aware of how he removes them. And with some of these anarchis, we we need the courage to to face them, to see them. And that cannot be done on our own. Only, only the Lord can show us these things from him. So, We need to be sincere enough to see them, and as we know in our relations with other humans, it takes a lot for a person to be sincere enough to want to see their own faults on a deep level. Yes, if you've ever tried pointing out someone else's faults to them, it's not very effective. So it it really it takes a, a a lot of desire. To have the courage. We have to want Krishna so much that we will have the courage to say, please show me, please show me how I am voluntarily, willingly, willfully, knowingly holding on to evil. Please show me that. And We should only ask that if we are going to have the courage to see it and to let go. Please don't ask that if you're not going to be willing to see it and let go. Krishna doesn't like that at all and the result will not be very just like if someone comes to you and said, please tell me what was wrong with my presentation and when you tell them, they get angry. Then the next time they ask you, you won't say anything. So if you say to Krishna, please show me the real nature of my attachments and when he shows you, you just you know, he's not going to show you next time. So it has to be, please show me and give me the courage to face it and the courage to let go. And then the thing that's pulling us around is is gone. It's just gone. And only then are we actually going to live the life that we want to live and be the kind of persons we want to be. Therefore, as a teacher, all this values education. I say, you know, it has... There is some value to values education. There is. If right before people take a test, you remind them, you know, there's an honor code in the school. Please sign the honor code. The studies have shown... That people will be more honest if they sign an honor code right before taking a test. So it's not that it doesn't have some value in that moment. But you have to sign the honor code right before you take a test. If you signed it two days ago, it doesn't work. So it's that's not getting at the deep-rooted stuff. You understand? Yes? Okay. We should, I'm supposed to be at the school in a few minutes, so we should end here.